We're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Welcome to episode 8 of the 3180 Podcast. This is going to be a two-part episode. We'll release part one now, and we'll release part two down the road. It was a two-hour conversation with Demetrius Norman. Demetrius is a fascinating guy. Um, He grew up here in Shreveport. He went to Lakeshore Elementary. He went to J.S. Clark, and then he he went to Huntington. But he graduated or actually finished school at uh, at Job Corps, and at 20 years old, he realized that he needed a college degree in order to to get the jobs and opportunities that he wanted. He went to Grambling State University and got an electric engineering degree, and came back to Shreveport. Um, I think by way of New Orleans, he founded a North Louisiana chapter, or at least a Shreveport chapter of the National Society of Black Engineers. He's involved in the North Louisiana STEM Alliance. He's created a makerspace in West Shreveport. He grew up in Queensboro. He lives in Queensboro now. He's a member of the Queensboro Neighborhood Association, and he is involved in everything that Shreveport needs to move the town forward. This was a two-hour conversation that we're going to break into two, and so I introduce you to Demetrius Norman for Episode 8, Part 1 of a two-part conversation. Demetrius Norman, welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Glad to be here, man. All right, right before we hit record, we were talking about an issue that, uh, that you're passionate about, and it caused me to call you last week. Um, uh, mutual friend Robert Trudeau indicated to me that you wanted to buy a block of houses in Queensboro and fix them up. So let, let's, talk, let's talk about what, I don't know if that's true or not, you and I talked a little bit about it last week, so let's talk about that. What's going on with that idea? Well, yeah, Robert Trudeau is a very good friend, does a lot of great work in the city of Shreveport, um, has an excellent vision. I always run into him in the greatest places, like the, the Women's Rights March a couple of years ago, so definitely in solidarity with Robert. Um, he's followed our work with starting the Makerspace up the past couple of years, um, and I think he kind of kept up with what we did in Queensboro. Um, so what, what was that plan? We'll get into, uh, we want to get into that Makerspace and a few other things, but first tell yeah. me about that plan. Well, uh, so with that plan, that's part of our objective, our objectives for the Neighborhood Association for Queensboro. Um, we have an economic development objective. Uh, we also have another objective for, uh, at some point, building capacity to provide um, housing for low-income citizens. Okay. Right? And, and part of that is not just providing, like, you know, rental units like a lot of people want to do, but actually uh, coming up with ways that some of the residents can buy some of these dirt cheap houses themselves instead of renting through a third party, right? Um, buying their house outright. Um, some of these properties are between ten dollars to $50,000, so that's like a car, right? And so we have people that are poor, but not everybody's step poor to where they can't, you know, finance ten, ten or $15,000 yeah. and actually own a home. The problem is with perception and people not understanding the importance of having a real asset in your name, what that does to your credit, what that does to you being able to go into business and actually have something to borrow against. So um, those are some of the things we've been talking about it, uh, since we started Queensboro Progressive Citizens a couple years ago. All right. So yeah. let me ask you this. For those who don't know, who's Demetrius Norman and how did you get involved from, from elementary school on up into now you're a 34-year-old guy 
um, you and I met years ago at a Cohab startup weekend. Yes. And um, you were probably in your 20s then, and I was probably 34. Yep. But tell us about Demetrius Norman and how you ended up passionate about trying to help the Queensboro neighborhood from start to finish. Well, I mean, I grew up in Queensboro, so that kind of helps. Okay. <laughs> uh, right there by Billberry Park. Uh, my mom, uh, before she became ill, she had to let her business go, but she owned a cosmetic shop, uh, Sediva Cosmetics. That's okay. Cedric, Demetrius, and Versa. That was me, my brother, and her name kind of merged okay. together. And uh, that was right across the street from the Shreveport Sun. Okay. Uh, so she was one of the very first um, that I knew of African-American women to be, you know, on the entrepreneur tip and running a business. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what she taught me from the beginning. Um, Dad was a Vietnam vet. That's how they ended up moving to Queensboro's with his GI Bill. Uh, okay. They moved there at a time when it was very much, um, very much no African-Americans there. Okay. Uh, there was an integration period that we uh -huh. had, and then there was a flight situation. So okay. there was some resistance to people like my parents moving there. When did your parents move into Queensboro? Uh, this was like probably maybe the 70s. Okay. Yeah, so this was like a long time ago. And, was, and your dad bought that house on a GI Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that was, he came back from the military, got the 69 Chevelle. We still talk about it. All right. <laughs> Him and my mom got a house. You know, they worked their butts off. They worked two jobs, worked their way up to the middle class. And so um, watching them kind of decline after all that hard work, um, that's something that always pushed me because I grew up listening to the stories. You know, Dad would talk about the Army all the time, go to sleep, listen to Sam Cooke. I know all the words, all Sam Cooke's music. Right. Another ironic thing there because that deal just came out with the mayor and Sam Yeah, Cooke's. yeah. Yeah, and so that was one of the songs my dad used to play every night. And so that's kind of etched in my memory growing up in Queensboro. That change gonna come. He, he came through Shreveport before he wrote that song. Right? I, I know I was one of the people that used to share that online. Actually, since about 2012, we've been talking about that at community meetings. Okay. Um, and so you know, all this kind of builds up because I, I'm growing up in the conditions um, in Queensboro that a lot of times we talk about. Yeah. Um, in these different meetings with these different groups in Shreveport, but uh, I've lived it. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion about it. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion about it, but, like, living it, like, I've been in a situation, like, laying on the floor, reading encyclopedia, people shooting outside, right? And that's, you know, one of the things I got into also was tinkering. So that's kind of how I got into the IT stuff. I would take the games apart, take the radio apart. Um, I would always have to find something to kind of take my mind off of conditions around me. Okay. Well, wh where'd you go to, uh, like, elementary, middle, high school? Uh, elementary was Lakeshore Elementary, all right. and then J.S. Clark Middle School. Okay, and then also um, started out at Huntington, then I came back over to my mom's side at Booker T. Washington. Okay, um, I finally finished school at Shreveport Job Corps Center. Okay, all right. So I didn't graduate on time. I finished late. All right, and I came out. I graduated from Job Corps. I was like twenty. What? Then, then I went to Gramlin State and got my degree, and things kind of changed up. What'd you get your degree in? Electronic Engineering Technology. Okay, all right. Well. Um, Tell us, uh, tell us more about growing up in Queensboro and and how that affected your the, your view now on the city of Shreveport and what needs to be done. Well, yeah, I mean, growing up there was it was kind of crazy because we always had these weird perceptions, you know, from the local news, from the way local leaders would talk. Um, you know, we we assumed there were so many things that we were lacking or didn't have access to um, as far as resources, and a lot of them were there. They were just um, yeah, a lot of them were there, um, but it was just a problem with access and in some government departments and some organizations, not naming names, 
But sometimes there was discrimination. There was people giving certain groups of families or certain people information that they weren't giving other folks. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of gaps and resources. Okay. And um, like I say, just transitioning and becoming a professional, realizing how many resources were out there, how many things we had access to, and people, we just had some of the wrong people disseminating the information. Okay. Right, right. And really not reaching out or connecting with a lot of the community. And so that kind of shaped my passion for wanting to get out, knock on doors, make sure that I'm connecting with everybody in the community, not just the handful of people I go to church with okay, or schoolmates. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, not yeah. just doing the photo op community yeah. work, but actually meeting people that I've never met from week to week. Well, give, give me some examples of some of the resources uh, that you might have had at your might have had at your disposal that you didn't know about back then and maybe tell us why you weren't getting the right information. Well, I mean, I knew nothing about the first-time home buyers. When, okay. uh, you know, I knew nothing about that program. It goes to HUD. Yeah. HUD has a lot of programs for home ownership that there were never any meetings. Nobody ever talked about that stuff in that type of community. Only thing they talked about with HUD was Section 8. Okay. Oh. Go rent you a house, get you a voucher, rent a house. You know, you got to, well, you know, that, that was Who's disseminating thing. that information? Well, now we got different players in the game, and we have some really great people like like Bonnie Moore down at Community Development. I mean, it's like night and day from what I was used to growing up. Like, she really comes out, like, to all the neighborhoods. Uh, she has a great staff, uh, great people that actually go out in the community and kind of dispel some of these myths and push these other options and alternatives. So okay. I've actually had the pleasure of sitting on their housing board the past year. And but, we, but back in the day, specifically, before, before now – the home ownership wasn't encouraged among the folks no. in Queensboro. No, no, home ownership wasn't encouraged. Um, in most, in most poor communities, African American communities, people kind of push folks into this whole rental trap where they're renting properties for eight, nine hundred dollars that they could buy. I mean, you know, to the to finance one of these houses wouldn't cost eight, nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah, wouldn't cost five hundred dollars a month. The value isn't that high. They couldn't sell them at that rate and make that type of money, and so. They rent them, and then they take advantage of people that have credit issues, may have some past incarceration issues, um, or people that just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you're going to see people working at Subway or working at Burger King, paying a $900 a month rent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and struggling. You know, if you look at, if you pull census numbers on Shreveport, you're going to see that a, a, a large proportion of the average household spends anywhere probably more than 60% of their uh, their household income just on somewhere to live. That's that's before utilities, that's mm-hmm. before clothes, medical. Like, we have people actually going broke just to have a roof over their head. And mm-hmm. so when you look at all this homelessness, you look at all the people laying around downtown, yeah. these, aren't, these aren't lazy people. These are vets. These are people that have been gainfully employed before. Um, bad health condition, took them out of the workforce, spiraled down. They're on the curb, right? And so, I mean, when you take all that in, um, you have to look at, you know, if we have these resources and we have a way to do it differently, why haven't we? Well, all right, well, and, and you you know a lot about this stuff, and you and I have had a longer conversation about this. So, like, um, how, how do you get the person – there's math on this, that if you're spending over a certain percentage of your monthly income on – either rental or a mortgage, you'll yeah. never get ahead, you'll never save, you'll never invest. So I don't know what that percentage is, but anything over 50% has got to be completely lopsided. How do you get somebody who's earning two grand a month, maybe 2400 a month total, how do you get them out of the rental trap 
and into a home ownership if they have bad credit? And you know what? That's a good question. And yeah. a lot of people have perspectives about that. Um, but the reality is, you know, with all those expenses that they have, there's going to have to be some sacrifice and some hurt. There has to be a plan because you don't just have money laying around to do that, right? Right. Um, there's going to have to be something that cuts out for maybe 12 months to 24 months. There's going to have to be a different lifestyle and behavior to make that leap. Uh, I had to do the same thing when I went to college. Um, you know, when you're talking about being socially mobile and, and trying to do the same things like going to school or buying a home that other people are doing that are affluent, um, you know, there's obviously going to have to be um, some extreme sacrifices that – you know, you're gonna really have to want to do that, but and that's gonna have you, to kind of be all that you're doing for the next year or two. How'd you figure that out? Like, you didn't get out of high school till you were 20, right? You went from you went you finished at Caddo Career Center, uh, well, or Shreveport Job Corps, Shreveport Job Corps. So, you, I mean, you didn't take the the track that a lot of college grads end up taking. You didn't take no. the did well in the ACT, went to college on a scholarship, got out when no. I was 22. I took the got out the back seat of the SPD squad corps and, and went <laughs> and went to a trade school and got a GED. Luckily, I had enough credits to do my high school completion, and uh, you know, and then like I said, I, I saw my friends dying and going to jail, and that was just kind of let me try this at least because well, I was always book smart. What, that was a what was the what was the what catalyst made you realize, hey, being in the back of this cop car sucks. Right. I, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices to not do that. Where did that – I mean, you're clearly a smart guy. Right. So, but was – did your mom, like, was she on you? Like, if I catch you in that cop car one more time, or was she just throwing you out? Or like, how I mean, did, my dad's military, so yeah, so that helps. He was, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. My dad would definitely throw me out physically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a couple times moms don't come in my house. Dad's like, don't come to my house till you change. But, I mean, that wasn't really it. It was just a matter of I would have never been out there to begin with if somebody actually was mentoring, actually saying, hey, I see you. I see you. Because I had a job. I was 16. I was working at KFC on Pines Road. I walked up and down the Pines Road after school begging for a job because I wanted to do it right, do it legit. What what a minimum wage pay in, like, 2001, 2000. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, this, this is what makes it real. You got a kid that's going to school all day, gets out of school, uh, gets out of school, school bell rang. I got a Kentucky Fried Chicken hat, walking down the street to my job, walking, right? right? Save all my money, buy my own first car, right? Um, pay my mom's bills. You know what I mean? Like mom, dad split. I'm sitting here taking care of bills at my mom's house. I mean, really doing stuff that normally would not be on a teenager. And so you gotta understand the stress that that causes. That that causes. You're literally doing something productive. Every hour of the day that you're awake, half sleep, uh, trying to do things right, that pulls you into um, awkward situations where you're just trying to get ahead financially. Yeah. It really has zero to do with morals. A lot of people will try to leverage that. and We can get into that probably in a different discussion. We, 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 we had this thing with a moral high horse in our country. where Well, and you know particularly what I mean? in the, our community. Yeah, well. yeah, because, I mean, I had friends that came from two-parent homes, plenty of money, and they would get in trouble with the law, do crazy stuff all the time, but it was always a different narrative. Right. It was always boys will be boys. It was always, you know, I remember my senior class at Hunton spray-painted, vandalized the school, spray-painted, and because of who their parents were. Yeah. <laughs> right? There was no there was no legal, you know, repercussion for that. It still walked across the stage, and I'm like, I knew people in school that got thrown out, sent to alternative school for having colored shoestrings. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, just being real, and this is all on record. You can go look this up. I can remember a time when we had – I used to have raids. Um, they they set us in the gym and would not give us our uh, our school class schedule Yeah. until we took our braids down. Oh, okay. Guys walking across campus in Mohawk, nothing said. I mean, that's that's the Caddo school system I grew up in. Yeah, that's the Shreveport I remember. It's just it's all this flip flopping in different narratives. Right. Uh, but what what made me get into the self empowerment mode? Because there's a certain point where you, there's a certain point where you realize you live in a society, you live in a culture that does not care, that claims to care that doesn't care. When you start caring for yourself and taking control of every aspect of your life, I met a couple people like that that were self made. Mm-hmm. And you locally, know, like here, yeah, locally, locally. I met a couple people that came out the same exact circumstance, and they're like, "I get it. Let me show you something." Yeah, and you know, just kind of start coaching me, like you know, just do it this way. Right. You know, go over here, talk to this guy. I want you to meet somebody. Um, each step of the way, I mean, like when I was job court, it was Curtis Shepard. You know, so I mean, I still could have went either way at that point, but Curtis was just very strict. You know, he wouldn't let me goof off. He's like, "Yeah, take this serious every day. You get up." And, you know, he kind of pushed. Um, he pushed Curtis, others. Didn't, was he employed by? Um, Shreveport Job Corps. Okay. Curtis yeah. Shepard. Curtis Shepard. He was recently the, uh, the came back, became the center director. Okay. Did a lot of transformative things. But, I mean, he was impactful in a lot of people's lives that came into the Job Corps. Like, I mean, you it, really can't do this. Is, is that what made you change your mind? Or did you see somebody that you knew from the neighborhood driving a nice car that wasn't selling drugs or something, and you said to yourself, man, I want to figure out what that guy does? Was it all self-motivation, or was it? I mean, it was a mean, mixture of things. It, it's not a linear path. Everybody has yeah. different things. It yeah. was some of those things. Um, I would see, like, my high school sweetheart, she was very book smart. She would do hair. and I mean, she'd make more money doing hair legally than any guy I knew in the streets. Okay. And so that was kind of one of those things I was like, dang. So it it is possible to make a lot of money and not be from this privileged rich family, right? Yeah. And you know, yeah, the legit hustle was real. I had a couple of friends that I knew like to this day, like they just had a real legit hustle. Yeah. You know, they had to work two jobs, push a lawn more, you know, that type of deal. So I had those influences and I had those opportunities, but um the other thing was really just a survival deal. Like, you know, I don't think people know what it feels like. Maybe some vets do. Like to watch people that you grow up with just disappear, doing stupid stuff that you used to do, and every day you wake up, you're just like, you know, am I gonna be next? And that was more real for me, like going into college. Like I'm sitting in a college classroom thinking I can't go back to what I came from, you know. Especially when I have my kid, you know. I'm like, I got a son, you know. I don't want to leave him in this world by himself. I don't want to have to raise him from a jail cell. And so, you know, that was always in my head in college, you know, as opposed to some of my peers are just like, I don't want my parents to be pissed, you know? (laughs) You know, for me, I'm just like, you know, what else am I going to do, right, if I don't, you know, develop a legit career? And then um, while I was in college, I met a couple professors, um, Dr. Walter Davis, a Harvard grad. um, He pulled me to the side. Um, He he used to teach sociology. And so we get into a lot of these uh, demographic stuff like we talked about today. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about social issues with straight numbers. Yeah. Took all the feelings out of it. Like, these are numbers. This is you. You know, which number do you want to be in? And um, I started looking at some of the social issues I grew up in, society as a whole, you know, pulling census data, pulling, you know, statistics on our local area, actually looking at a problem mathematically instead of just an emotional reaction of just seeing it in your community. 
Um, they're two different minds. And that's one of the things that probably empowered me more than anything. Other thing was um, our multicultural history classes, really learning about a lot of African-American history I've never been taught in Caddo, right? You know, the Haitian people leading their own revolution, first successful slave revolt in history, you know, Toussaint Louverture. I'm like, man, you know, I never saw that type of reflection of myself, right, in any type of work, anything school-related, you know? And so um, really learning my history and learning about other people that came before me that had been through worse situations than what I was dealing with. And they were great people and they built things. You know, people like Marcus Garvey started an entire shipping company, right? Started writing contracts, hiring people, Booker T to send Charles P to, to establish Grambling State. We're talking at a time where people were being lynched, you know, and we're building schools and, you know, building but successful that, but businesses. That, that at the same time, that's, you know, Marcus Garvey, like that, that mentality is the same mentality you have. That's like, nobody can tell me oh, you know, you can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Like, that's, that's, you, you saw people telling you things that you didn't think were true. Right. And you changed them, not in a, some kind of, you know, radical, like, you know, not in, everybody not in a kind of way. way. No, like, hey, I, I can see. It my felt pro- like that sometimes. It felt like screwing. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I also, like, ran through all of the schools here and, didn't have a place to go that's why I ended up getting shipped off to some other school because same deal like I had an attitude problem about wait a minute you guys are telling me this and when I question you it's like you died that you do what I say and it's like wait why 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 do I have to do just tell me why I have to do you know my father died when I was very young when I was in high school so I'm, I'm 15 years old and that you know that's a life-changing experience to to have that happen and then and then you start just questioning everything and you start doing it to their face which when you're 15 and people yeah. are like man i gotta get up and deal with this kid like he's such a little punk then eventually they're just like get we're not dealing with you anymore you're disrupting everybody get out and that's but then your perspective changes to wait a minute i got now i got to do this on my own and that's what it sounds like for you was yeah. like you get to a point where your perspective is okay, now I'm going to start doing things. I'm going to take the base and right. that they're telling me, then I'm going to test it, and if it works, I'll keep it. If it doesn't work, I'll throw it to the side, and I'll, I'll find what does work. Right. But that's... It, that's exactly what it is. You, you equate your independence and your freedom to being self, self-sustaining and self-empowered. Right. You know, that's what I got all out of all of that, even like with, you know, figures like Marcus Garvey. A lot of times people talk about Dr. King and Malcolm X, other speakers, and I'm like... You had people like Garvey that actually were like actually own stuff, and were actually and were actually employing people and impacting the economic situation. Um, and so you know, it's just for, it's different marketing. Yeah, I mean, when like my whole like a lot of people get in these emotional conversations about like slavery and racism, but when I look at the numbers, I see I see power and money moves mm-hmm. from the plantation on up, right? All of the revenue that was generated to sustain the United States was off plantation. Right. right. That, that that's, was, that's, that's where the rubber met the road. Right. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, you got this group of people that aren't classified as citizens. So they're actually doing all the real labor and all the actual work to build what we're proud of as a country. Not being able to own any of it. Not, not being able to have ownership in it. Not being able to leave your kids anything from it. You're building somebody else's fortune. 
probably sounds like a lot of people's nine to five job right now. Right? Yeah, it, it's, and it directly correlates. A lot of your first, first Robert Bairds. I mean, these are people coming from the same families. But that's but it's it's very similar to, in a very broad sense. Now we have all this technology and computers. You pay for a computer or some piece of technology one time, and and then it's then it's a slave. It just does what you tell it. It doesn't go to sleep. You don't keep it breaks. You just throw it away and you buy another one. And that's that's part of when when you're building a, a complete economy on the back of that computer. Yep. When when you decide, hey, no more computers, everybody's going to get their feathers real ruffled. And and you can you can take away all of the, you know, I mean th- these are these are people like it's it's not right. That's right. you can't enslave a person and, and do and do that, and then you know think nothing's going to happen. But but at the same time, when sounds like to my automation, this big yeah, automation scare. Yeah, well, well, it's it's it, it comes from the same mindset. I want to make a crap load of money, and I don't want anybody to make money but me. Right, it's greed. It, yeah, that's and a that, big, that, big thing. That's a recurring thing because automation, as most people discuss it, isn't even feasible. If you talk to actual tech people from different STEM disciplines, we're not we're we're not anywhere close to where a lot of corporate CEOs and business guys are saying that we are with automation. Some people want us to be there because they can write a big check, and yeah, we just get some of this robot stuff, and we don't have to pay people. It's like, who's gonna program your robots? Yeah. That, that, but that's but that's when, the, when your robot breaks. Who do you call? You don't know how to build right. You <laughs> you know how to look at a at a, a line item in a spreadsheet, but you don't know how to talk to the person who it has to. If you have a a, a team of robot drivers mm-hmm. driving trucks, somebody has to make sure that all of those logs are read and 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 that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Maybe the person's butt's not in the truck, but it's in a room with a computer. With a whole bunch of knowledge, and that's I think we we sort of had this conversation earlier, but the the GM conversation that always happens, like we need another GM here, we need all these yes. jobs. It's like okay, well maybe that's then then take GM, and and this is just sort of a, a thing that I, I love to say because it's it's so pie in the sky, but it's like take GM and just fill that up with people driving robots or or doing some the new blue collar work which is computers which that, is coding which is some sort of technology that is part of our vision for a circular economy or a maker city in Treeport and um yeah so that's a great segue because like in that whole self empowerment path the reason I went the way I went in technology like I was, one of my hustles was working on cars buying cars from the auction you know refurbishing them, if you will, and then selling them back out on the market. Me and my friends made a lot of money doing that. Uh, That's part of how I was able to leverage and and get through the financial situation of college. Um, I I learned how to do everything on a car, mostly self-taught, older mechanics. I might buy a car book here and there, you know, but I I never actually This is before YouTube. This is before YouTube. I (laughs) wish we had YouTube then. I wish. And so, you know, I learned how to do everything on a car, but most of the older guys that I would work on stuff with, you know, they were very mechanically inclined. They knew nothing about the computerized cars that were starting to emerge now. The computer's ECU or its control brain controlling, you know, all the mechanisms based on sensor data in the car. You know, if something's wrong with your car's computer, throw it away. Right. Right. We changed every part on it except the electronics. And so um, I actually was going to do automotive engineer when I got to Grambling, but they cut the program. 
so I went electronics, which I knew I was going to double major in because I knew that there was a gap. I knew that there was a knowledge gap in our area. We had a lot of mechanically inclined guys that if they had to deal with something that was electromechanical, where you got an automated mechanical system, like HVAC system, right? You got guys working on HVAC longer than I've been alive. But, you know, all HVAC systems have a control system now, and it's on a network, and you have to program stuff. That, you know, that goes over some people's heads, and that's the contract. So you can't just know how to do half the work. And so um, I actually ended up coming out of Gremlin going into building automation, which is exactly what I did. Let's put together design packages for actually design the control systems, but I'd have to understand what's going on with the mechanical engineering in order to match that with the controls algorithm uh, for the program to write the code. Uh, so I had to know the mechanical process. I had to know the, the programming algorithm help write that and then actually design the electronics and how everything needs to be wired up. So like one whole system. And there's not just one discipline that does that. So, I mean, one thing, me and one, me and one of my coworkers me and one of my coworkers, we came up with like, we found out about makerspaces, you know, just going online. We had YouTube at that point. Mm-hmm. And we'd see people at these makerspaces, like it was multidiscipline, people with different backgrounds, awesome, just working on stuff together. Um, I would mentor with a robotics program with Joe Kuvion, one of our current members. Uh, that's how I met him, was at a Tech 20 meetup. And so, I mean, and it was kind of a mixed discipline kind of place, like a dojo. And we could kind of absorb knowledge from each other because we knew all these heavy things that it was impossible for one person to know. Um, and so that's kind of how we start forming the, the blueprint for a makerspace in Shreveport. We knew we wanted to pull these different minds together. We didn't care what their, what their social background was or how much money they made, but we just cared about what was in their head. So I want to back up real quick to when you're at Grambling, you're studying, are you, you're studying engineering is there are you coding while you're there or is it too early for that you have to kind of do that your own on your own um one of the classes they make you take in engineering is programming okay so, what when what are you what's the what are you learning at that point well basically, i don't know what year this is the main thing is because you're an engineer you learn how to solve a problem mm-hmm. with coding not just getting immersed in the code or design or any of the classes that they're making us take but understanding I have a real world problem. I have a business, right? You know, pizza oven breaks. We got to buy a new piece of it. We had engineering economics. You know, can you do me a cost benefit analysis on which one of these pieces of equipment we should buy based on capacity, first cost, stuff like that. So really understanding from not only from a physical perspective, what parts and materials we should use, but also the cost trade off. You know, can we go this cheap? Should we spend this much? Um, and so being able to make design decisions based on all the factors, social impact, health, um, financial, um, and coming up with whatever solution that they calls for. Some may be programming. Um, I think we, we did a lot of visual programming with stuff like LabVIEW, mm-hmm. where you're just dragging and dropping blocks right. and visually putting the code together, and it's a lot of digital logic. Uh, but sometimes we get down in the weeds with, like, Visual Basic, Java, and stuff like that. Yeah. It- um, and so, I mean... The term engineer is really a thing that doesn't really exist. You've met all kind of engineers yeah, that yeah. don't do anything alike. Yeah. The engineering term really denotes someone that is kind of a jack of all trades. Right. They're just a brain like MacGyver. Right. Right. Like and, here's the you're a problem solver. We talked to somebody last week and that was a big thing. Is like a thing that he really enjoys. Malsh, Jim Malsh really enjoys problem solving, and he's a computer. He's a 
basically an engineer, right? He went to school for engineering. He came back, he, and then very soon after was like, hey, this is a business, and it needs to run this way. I mortgaged my house. Now I've got a business. And then Jim's a smart guy, so he's thinking at the time, I'm this old. When I'm this old, I want to be. I want this business to be at a level that I'm no. I'm no longer there. I can, and he built that into a contract, right? And that's yeah. where he is now. Is the is reason he really? he's here at Cohab, and the reason he's able to do a lot of things he's able to do is because he thought something. You know, in the future, I want to do this, and then he made that plan happen, which is problem solving, engineering. He's just a like what you're saying is. Yeah. Engineering is a, sort of a catch-all term for, yeah. hey, here's here's a pile of problems. Fix yeah, them. We're just like, gonna lay it out on the table. Look, all this stuff is broke. What can we do? Yeah, I got a question for you. On at the Job Corps, what all did you learn? And you said you you were always like a natural tinkerer, yeah. but what led you from Job Corps to Grambling? How did you make that jump over to Ruston or to Grambling, Louisiana, like the city itself, instead of just staying here? Like, did you were you mentored through that process? Was there something at Job Corps that really piqued I'll your interest? I made the leap back because at that time, some of the people at Job Corps didn't want me to go to Grambling. Okay, and actually wanted me to go somewhere here. Okay, okay. Well, like, what, what did yeah. you learn at Job Corps? Like, uh, well, Job Corps they they were real awesome. Like professional development was something we never had in K through twelve school. Right. So you know they actually taught us about the way you cuff your pants. You know how many feet you should be reaching for a handshake when you meet somebody important. Like, they, they delve into that stuff, like... Soft skills. From the, the soft skills. So, their thing was really making us employable. And just, you know, they knew that some of us were probably very intelligent. I was one of the people that scored very high on the tape test and everything. Um, all the interest exams, like, pretty much scored above average. Yeah. Which, I did that most of my life on standardized tests. Always read about two grades above my uh, grade level. I mean, you have a lot of outliers like me that are very intelligent, but just don't fit into a school system. Because of social issues, cultural issues, right? Like what you talked about, and so Job Corps and a lot of the, um, a lot of the alternative programs in our area, um, some of them are really good. You know, schools like Pathways in Education, they're a very awesome partner. Uh, one of our new board members, uh, Billy Anderson, uh, has worked with them a long time. Um, but I mean, they get it. We got some really talented, really smart students that they just need to be taught the game. You know, it's not anything with are they qualified enough, you know, can they do the work? It's part of part of business and professional world is not even about can you do the work. And y'all probably met a lot of trash professionals that do crappy work. <laughs> that 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 can you know, that are proof of that. You know, we look at people in some high profile positions that are highly underqualified as far as doing the work. But as far as shaking the hand, making people like you developing a powerful network where people will go to bat for you, whether you can do it or not, we just want that guy. You know, it, nobody teaches that except for wealthy families <laughs> that already have it. Right. Right. That's a big part of it. They could just bring a doctor to the house. It's like, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go over here. You know, and, and that's part of the gap is a lot of it is not based on merit. And, you know, so I think that's a two for one problem. Um, and so Job Corps kind of saw that for me and saying, it, not getting all the social economics and all that. Like, look, you want to get a job? This is what you got to do to get a job. You walk in, guy says this, you talk like this, you sit here, you shut up, listen to him. Um, this is how your resume needs to look. You work in the office, you're probably going to have to know how to do spreadsheets. We're going to do spreadsheets the next two, three weeks. So, you know, I did business technology. Um, and so they they had us learn how to, you know, build a database, 
you know, learn how to do a spreadsheet, how to do basic HTML. But it, but is that stuff that stuff's not difficult to teach? You could teach it in in a in fifth grade. Well, well, but they, nobody does. But just you could. you could, but nobody does. That's this. Josh and I had this conversation two nights ago, where he had a uh, medical deal when he was younger. So he there was a gap of time where he didn't go to school, and he was saying, "I got so much more done because I wasn't going to school." And my my feeling always at school was like, I could be done by ten a.m. here, and I could go do something real. Instead, I'm sitting here till three. You know, abiding by a structure that's right, been predetermined. A, a structure that, that yeah. where I'm not learning anything, and I, like you, did not understand or fit it. Like, I just yeah. wanted to take everything, dump it on the table, and solve the problem. I, I actually didn't go to Career Center uh, before, <laughs> I, before I went to Job Corps. Uh, Career Center, I made 100% on every single thing we did, every test, every, every, uh, you talk to Dr. Looney, if she's still around. I literally made top score on everything. If we had bonus points, I got the bonus. <laughs> and I was done and bored and like sitting there and I, you got some of my peers came from like bird and magnet and you know they're still struggling with this stuff i'm done right right and after a while i got bored and i would start sneaking out of class yeah. leaving class early which you know miss Lily loved me and she understood like i'd be i would ask for more work yeah but you're but and you're it was just like kid. when i was at elementary school when i was at lakeshore i would be done with my work yeah. already and i would my, I would move so fast through the assignments, the teacher would tell me to just sit there while other students catch up. Right, because you, you're only as strong as the weakest link. You, if you're, it, that's a, another thing that is sort of like a platform. That it's like if you could, everybody in the class, like if you could then go back and teach the guy that's the slowest. Like if they were like, "Hey, you're finished. Help him. He doesn't understand everything yet." That seems like. But again, that's something I actually do when I mentor. Yeah. It, so I assign my smartest mentee with to pull in the, the, the weak ones up. up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I try to make sure there's, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's a lot of stuff I've done. We won't get a chance to talk to today. But when I started uh, National Society of Black Engineers, the junior chapter, we had started one at the college level at Southern when I came back from Grambling, started mentoring other college students, helping them fill out resumes, get internships like we did for each other at Grambling. A lot of cool stuff happened there with self-empowerment and team building and you know collaborating with my peers and being self-empowered but i brought that back to shreveport um we started at southern and i started a kids chapter and we started doing after school robotics and like national we, society of black engineers yeah national you, society of black engineers do you locally do you have a website or a way that people can reach out to you on that um i would say if you just get in touch with me through the makerspace i mean i'm still connected okay. to all those groups um you know all at, those at, at the end of the at the end of the podcast at the before we hit end on the record I want you to you know tell everybody how you can be reached on social on email or however oh, yeah. you want to be reached out to but but for younger kids talk about the local uh, the, the local chapter for younger people okay well yeah um, so the local chapter for younger people is um, that's something I started it was a I was at a troubling time for me I was changing careers I think I had just came from doing the solar panels or whatever down in New Orleans and uh Got back to Shreveport, got to work remotely from home for a real big company. And I was like, well, while I'm back home, let me do some more of this transformative stuff. You know, we had always wanted to start like a Nesby Kids chapter. I wanted to make sure we had like a pipeline that pretty much provided the solution that I wish I had coming up. And maybe some of those good things that I did have, implementing that programmatically, like having those one or two people that care, kind of mentor and push you. Um, so we kind of build that into the, our Nesby pipeline or STEM pipeline. 
I come out of this type of environment, this type of condition, so I know what it takes to get out. So why don't I just look at it as my responsibility? Like I say, not just a cute photo op, but I'm a, we're only gonna be on there for so long. Uh, like Nipsey Hussle said before he passed, we, we have to build stuff that's here when we're gone. And so I knew I wanted to put some type of foundation and program together to where it was gonna feed that community even when I'm not here. And kind of show people how we can be responsible for our own kids, our own block, our own neighborhood. So it's really a holistic thing. It's really not just one thing with the STEM or the houses, it's just what are all the factors that we need to be self-sustaining. And so with the after-school robotics, I mean, I'm teaching those kids the same thing that you know I learned at the college level. They already know Ohm's Law. They already know how to, you know, pair up Bluetooth and all the same stuff you see us doing. You know, guys like me and Luke, you know, I'm showing somebody in middle school how to do it. My son knows how to do that, right? And so, and it wasn't really for them to master all of it or have all of it locked down, but just to have that exposure, just like working on a car with dad. For this generation that I've been grooming for years, you know, they're going to come out of high school already knowing how to program PLCs. They're going to come out already knowing about CNCs and 3D printer and G-code, like, oh yeah, it's easy. We do that with Uncle Demetrius all the time, right? And they're gonna walk onto somebody's job a lot more trainable and not having like a tech phobia and being able to run where some people are still crawling. Are and, you doing that at your makerspace? Um, and so makerspace is kind of the next iteration. Makerspace evolved into the adult version. Well, where, where have you been doing all that uh, mentoring? Uh, well, that was over at Lakeside Library okay. and also the library on, um, on MLK, okay, and um, and also Atkinson over in Queensboro. Okay, that was years ago. We we're talking like maybe 2013. Okay, so so far I've kind of outgrown that. I have people like uh, Ebony Mitchell that runs their program now. Okay, and also has added girls who code, uh, making sure we got representation from the young ladies in STEM, um, and that you know a woman running it. You know these young ladies are seeing another woman doing the STEM program. Uh, Dr. Heather Kleiner comes out helps Ebony with that. Um, we joined the STEM Alliance, which is like a, um, the STEM Alliance is like a coalition of organizations trying to grow STEM, um, even in our most underrepresented areas. Okay. It's actually part of our mission, you know, regardless of zip code, cradle to career, uh, same concept. So I do that collaboratively now, and it's not so much as just me and a couple other people. Now I have several different organizations I can call. Um, Heather's actually, I think, uh, going to meet with people over at Linwood tomorrow. Um, I got to get back with somebody from a couple of schools want to start programs. So um, makerspace, our thing in it because I want to focus on eighteen and up and workforce development, something that none of the STEM programs do, right? Um, is actually make sure okay now you're grown, now you're done with high school, even if you're not going to college, let's make sure you don't fall through the gaps. Because what's the whole point in all the kids STEM program? If the kid grows up, be like, yeah, I was in STEM, and then goes and gets shot in the drive-by or goes to jail. You get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And so I felt like Makerspace was kind of like that, that you know, fourth, you know, uh, form of matter besides college and trade school. Like, we really just needed something organizationally that was kind of like Uncle's Car Shop. Well, describe Makerspace and where is it? How You know, how do you find out more about it and describe it, you know, well, when you walk can, in? Can I have a, I have yeah, a question sure. real quick before? Yeah. So, because I want to hear about the Makerspace, too, because when I first came back here, um, I had gone and talked to some people that because I was looking for something downtown to, to make and was like a makerspace seems like a I'd really like to have it a but also <laughs> it seems like a, a good place to have it there's there's a lot of kind of wide open spaces anyway my question is do you think it the that sort of 
fallen through the cracks program you're talking about. Yeah. You, you, could you go, and Josh and I have talked about this sort of conceptually before, but I don't know exactly how to implement it, but go into Queensboro, buy up this section of houses, and then take people from the neighborhood who you know, like, mm. they maybe aren't going to go to college. Maybe they don't want to go to college. Maybe maybe they're mechanically inclined. They want to learn to do something. Or maybe they do, and they just need the inspiration. But, but can you get and yeah. teach from within the neighborhood, like, hey, we're taking, uh, you know, street A, house A, and you three are going to be, you know, there's one guy, you know, sort of in charge, but you guys are going to use your skills to do the things and we'll fill in with things that, you know, there's, if there's some specialty that we don't have, we'll bring it in or, or find somebody else. Yes. But do that and then. Now, from foundation to rooftop, redo a house. And but, you know, yeah. teach, teach one kid how to do that so house the, with the help of a contractor. But what you then get is someone who says, like, I rebuilt that. Yes. Wait a minute. I can go across the street and I could do this for myself. And then that person is in there. And then maybe they do decide, like, hey, I want to go to school or I, I don't want to go to school. I want to I want to buy the house next door. And then I want to make a place for, you know, if you don't want to you, you want to rent something, I want to rent it to you at at a, a rate that I know that is not just taking you know, the total sum of what you got paid at your job, which is probably not, you know, a career, it's a job. You hit the nail on the head. So, yeah, but, as, but that's, as that, a guy that runs the Neighborhood Association, that was part of my plan for economic development was self-empowerment, not just drop a new fast food place over here, but actually, you know, what are some things that poor people can do with limited resources, right? You know, it may not be feasible for them to start you know, um, uh, open up a retail business that require or a restaurant that requires a lot of overhead, uh, but a lawn service, you could do that. Yeah, lawn yeah. service you can do, and it's a crap ton of money. Yeah, in, in just lawns, and that business is always there. Doesn't require a technical degree, although it could be greatly enhanced by one. Um, I mean, but you have things like that. I mean, even I think saving up to invest in a car wash that may be what like a ten thousand dollar investment. There's low-hanging fruit that people don't talk about at startup competitions because we're all looking for that multi-million-dollar business startup. Yes, we're not thinking about think about how many young ladies uh, make like five, six grand, ten grand a month just doing hair, and those aren't fictitious numbers. Talk to some ladies that do hair. Yeah, the, right. The good ones. That Talk to some guys that cut hair. I got friends that are barbers with no degree. I mean, eight hundred credit score. I mean, bank. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just cutting hair, you know. Don't know all this technical stuff. But, I'm talking. but that's so that there's this gap that that I notice, and and maybe it's just you know where I'm looking. But I notice this gap of Josh and I talk about this quite often. It's like what if we if we had this thing on this corner, and it's like, but who wants to run that? And it's like I think that there's a truckload of people somewhere, and I just don't know how to get to them to say like, guys, we can we can put together investors you can call them quote investors you know if it's like there are people in this city immigrants for hundreds of years in this country have called that family right 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 they're like nephew needs a job and he needs to straighten up he's going to come run our joint if he doesn't run our joint right we kick him out right right but but that and when families have been empowered over the years to buy the corner store nephew runs it son runs it eventually one of those kids ends up in med school and you know after, yes. after 100 years by the third generation, somebody's a doctor somewhere. 
and like how can we make that happen in uh, in some of the poor communities in Shreveport? How do we empower that ownership level? Yeah, it takes a it definitely takes a mixture of education and treating the problem that they have right now, and so realizing that we're not gonna have this we're not gonna always have this violin playing touching story that gets us million dollar donors you know overnight. Yeah, sometimes you're gonna have to take some time and actually have some real change. But, and it may be like a four-year window. Do you even need a million dollars to do that? I mean, well, you could... you could. I've seen us spend a million dollars on much less. Right. <laughs> it's what I've seen in community work. I, I've seen us spend a lot more money, you know, uh, I think, what is the law? is like up to 80% can go to like salaries and contracts. And so I see a lot of government dollars and nonprofit dollars go down the drain for things that claim to have that type of impact. So, and don't. So but I think check, we could do it leaner. Let's check this out. You're you're in the community uh, in Queensboro Community Association. Yes. What's the name? What's the official name? Que- of Queensboro Progressive Citizens. Someone gives you a hundred k. Just oh, gives God. you a hundred k. So now you got a hundred k to play with, and you're in charge. I know there's committee meetings and there's always a fight in a committee. But let's just say you get to pick where the hundred k goes to create the most benefit. What do you do? Oh man. We're gonna be having uh, well already. I'm 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 writing up uh, free digital literacy classes. Okay. For those that can't pay, and we will subsidize some of that through donations and grants. Okay. But, um, for the people that can't pay, pay, okay. and these are the quality level classes that you normally would pay for. And y'all have uh, a place that y'all have a place to house those. Um. Well, like I say, we got a makerspace building where we'll do some of this stuff, but we'll also come to the rec centers. You know, we started out doing outreach first, so we'll and come. Where's we'll the come to your church. Located? Uh, Makerspace is on uh, 5905 Financial Plaza, okay. Suite 700, uh, just near the Pines Road area. Okay. Um, it's Huntington Industrial Warehouse. Yeah. So we're right next to CSR and the Alarm Company uh, okay. Industrial Warehouse space. So we have our own facility. Uh, we okay. got the Makerspace Lab here at Cohab okay. uh, that they were so gracious to partner with us on and uh, get a lot of great use out of. Also, they're doing the entrepreneur empowerment piece that they do so much better than us. We want to learn. Okay, so uh, back back to the hundred K. You you, so the you enhance the digital literacy. Enhance the digital literacy, I think that's probably our hugest gap. Especially with the failure with this recent bond situation. And what, with taking that seven million dollars out and leaving sixteen million dollar and thirty million dollar projects with no clear definition in, taking a seven million dollar clearly defined internet partnership package out of the bond with no consultation with the citizens or the citizens bond committee I sat on. Uh, but but and it was get, all from get, literacy. Let's, let's get back to the the seven the seven million that that you're passionate about too. Yeah. Back to the hundred k in Queen, yeah, in Queensboro, just Queensboro. Yeah, just Queensboro. I mean, hundred uh, k. I mean, I would. I mean, a lot of that would be contract fees to bring in professionals to actually train the workforce there. And what because, age group is the workforce? What are you um, looking at? I want to target all ages, but more specifically, when our CLO comes, uh, majority of our crime numbers are. Nonviolent, non-confrontational, despite what you see on the news, right? Um, Eighteen to thirty, male. Eighteen to thirty, male. Mainly property crime theft. Uh, mainly, yeah. People going in cars, crap yeah. like that in yeah. the daytime when everybody's at work. Yeah. So, and I mean, our CLO uh, Joshua Dolly's real great. Comes to our neighborhood means actually brings the police reports. So these are majority nonviolent crimes and non-confrontational. And he wanted to point that out specifically as somebody that comes from our neighborhood. There's that, not, you live cop. there. You live there. Yeah, it's yeah. not a war zone. It's not. It's <laughs> not. It's not a war zone. You. A lot of times you'll have people shooting in the air, like, you know, playing. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. I, yeah. I hear about people shooting in the hood on news all the time. I'm in the hood. I'm gonna shoot. Nobody's getting shot. Every now and then somebody does something crazy and 
uh, bystander gets hit or somebody actually does have some mental health deficiency and access to a gun. That's a whole other discussion with gun yeah, control yeah. because yeah. we have, you know, an 18-year-old can buy an assault rifle, but an 18-year-old can barely find a job. And you can you can get access to a gun in our community a lot quicker than you can get access to a job to feed your household. You got a gun, no job. What happens? Right? You, you get money. Right. You get <laughs> you, money with your you, gun. So you now try you're, to find some way to get some money with the gun. Exactly. Yeah. If I can show you a way to get some money without that gun, you'll put that gun down. Yeah, but if you if you could show somebody the, the same thing with like, hey, take a Raspberry Pi and make uh, make those old speakers you got connect to your phone. Like and yes. and that's literally you could do it in in one afternoon. Yes. And then that could be something where it's like now that person could then go and be like, hey, everybody that's got old junk in their house, I can for thirty five dollars I get the the part and for you pay me fifty dollars and I make that thing work again. That's why I'm aiming with my hundred k. Um, I mean, maker cities is a real deal, but beyond just building out our maker space, um, we do have a long term vision for like little substations, little maker facilities inside our, our parks, our community centers, local churches that people have access to. We have a K through 12 program written out. Um, we have, we've sponsored uh, programs like the Huntington STEM Magnet. And so, you know, starting out when Talarence Graham was principal um, before uh, Dr. Mitchell came with more awesomeness. Um, you know, we donated to Dr. Mitchell School at Fair Park when he was there. We donated to uh, Huntington High School. That was in response to the school closures in Queensboro. Also, our Shreveport Mini Maker Fair, Shreveport Bozier Mini Maker Fair, we is now licensed to the makerspace. Um, we are hosting that on September 7th for the second year in a row, uh, 11 to 5 at the Agriculture Building at the fairgrounds. We moved it to Queensboro from downtown in response to the to the school closures, and you know that aligned with our neighborhood group's vision of self empowerment. September 7th. September 7th at the Agricultural Building at the Fairgrounds. What it going to be down here? Uh, Was it going to be down here? In the it room? used to be. Okay, uh, but, but now, now it's we, When we took over, we moved it to Queensboro on purpose yeah. because of the conversation that we're having. Okay. It's because right. we wanted to change the whole narrative from the ground up. So okay. not just one aspect, but, you know, we started bringing realtor, uh, realty agents. We started bringing mortgage lenders. I mean, having a real conversation. Like, so the stuff we're talking about, it, it wasn't just ideas you know, this is how much the house costs, this is what the kids need to be studying, these are jobs that are available right now, like boom, boom, bam, multi-tiered approach. And so I will really turn up the faucet on some of the programs that we've already have in place that have already been kind of impacting the community and making yeah. some change. Okay. You know, we've already sent some people to work doing okay. some stuff that they didn't even know was a job before we got with them. Uh, the Makerspace, we toured General Electric on Burt Coons in Shreveport. 80 to 90% of New York Transformers uh, are produced in Treeport at our General Electric plant on Burkins. We wouldn't have known it if we didn't take a tour of the plant and talk to the plant personnel and leadership there. Um, and they're constantly hiring. They came to our first 3D printer class. Uh, I think one of the hiring managers came uh, to our first 3D printer class here at Cohab and was saying how they had a big gap and a big need for training. I mean, they're hiring people to operate million dollar equipment through temp services. That's right now. This right now. GE, I mean, I just, GE wants employees. GE wants employees that understand G code, that understand how to operate a CNC machine, which programmatically is the exact same thing as a 3D printer, right? One is additive, one is subtractive. The G code is exactly the same. You could have a super base and get that job with 
two weeks of if you had two weeks up no job no no college background but if you had two weeks of training on that machine before you would you would get the job over anyone else yes and so we got little desktop cnc's now where i mean we can come out to these underserved communities we can teach we can train people on cnc work right now we had a capacity in our space here at cohab um out in the community so what what about about this What, what if you took that 100k you know invested in a facility to train to, and, and worked with GE to train some kids from Queensboro at that facility on these two, three week. But that's what programs. I think. That's what you're saying is you don't even need the facility. You can go to them. Well, I mean, it's a mixture. I believe in spending money smart. So yeah. my whole thing is, as soon as somebody, the way I do when people donate to my charities, I don't take a check. I stay out my day job. I have an LLC that I can make money through. I, I don't take a check for my nonprofit. And so, and part of the reason for that is because. I want to leverage every single penny for what you donated it for. That that's that's a goal that I have even beyond what the law requires, right? And so, in my mind, I'm like, once you donate to my organization, I feel that I need to show each and every one of my donors what your money did. And so, I like a multi-tiered approach where we can aim for some bigger stuff like the facility, but the facility comes with additional costs. So you know, I mean, well, I don't think I really meant to buy a physical structure. I think I meant yeah. find a space to train children or to cha- to train teenagers for what GE needs. Gotcha, gotcha. So and basically, so, kind of like bring GE like, in to tell us exactly what they need, create the training program, and say, will you hire one kid a month or you know some, something like that? Yeah, I mean that's something that we're open to doing with the facility we have access to now. Um, I mean, basically, that was, we have a space yeah. where we could do that uh, in West Shreveport. It's an opportunity zone, 243.03, I think, mm-hmm. uh, West Shreveport opportunity zone. And, yeah, we have the capability to do that now. So could we build out that space and that training program that we're working on with the 100K? Yeah. We already have the workforce skills with a Z written up. We already have that ready to implement. We've already done some some beta testing on it the past couple of years. Those were some of the outreach programs that we started working on before we started spending money on the space. Yeah. We made sure that we had programs to walk into the space. So the K-12 sponsorship, the workforce skills, that breaks down into three tiers, soft skills. Um, you know, we talked about shaking the hand, etiquette, resume building, all that. We got people to do that. Um, classic skills, stuff you always needed to know how to do, like a spreadsheet. You know, you shouldn't be... Tracking. Uh, no salary professional should not be capable of operating spreadsheet, right? And so, classic skills and then modernized skills are the stuff we're talking about with CNC operating, um, IT troubleshooting, coding. Uh, we classify those as modernized skills, things you need to know for the economy of right now. And we've condensed that into little one hour bites so we can kind of spoon feed that and not have to take people so fast. Uh, we believe in a skills first approach. So just like how you work on a car with your uncle, you wouldn't come out there quizzing about stuff in a book. You would, what if, what we're going to change brakes. This is how you change brakes. Bam. What if you took that same, that same, do, do you take that same deal and, you know, film it, document it, and then, you know, make like a portal where it's like, hey, maybe you can't get down here, but you got a internet connection at home. You can watch this and then keep up and then you can get back in. I love y'all. <laughs> yes. So um, I've actually been working on a membership uh, part of our website mm-hmm. with a couple of my, my techies. Mm-hmm. And that's actually my goal. Um, so we have a program written up called Open Source Initiative. And it's to parallel the original Open Source Initiative. I forget the guy's name. He actually was born with, um, I think, Cerebral Prosy. 
uh, the guy that uh, invented the open source initiative. But it was to give people free and open access to knowledge and tools so that they can learn. Uh, we recently been certified as a Fab Lab mm -hmm. uh, through the uh, Fab Foundation that came out of the MIT Center for Benson Adams. And you know, MIT is real big about the hacker ethic that they coined, or the hacker term. Uh, has nothing to do with breaking into the computer. Uh, a hacker is somebody that believes in free and open access to tools, uh, knowledge, and resources to fabricate um, or to build things. To make new ideas. Right, exactly. If you go on MIT's website, all the lectures are on there free. Yep. Right, all the, all the class materials are free. If you never registered and went to MIT, you have access to all MIT's class material. Yeah. On their website right now. The syllabus is there. The lectures are there. We want to do there. something very similar. Like even with their app inventor, um, you can go in there and build Android apps with, um, you know, just from drag and drop with no knowledge of coding. They give that access free to the community. You just sign up with an email. Do you, do you, Scratch you, is the same way. Are you familiar with uh, Khan Academy? Same, Khan same, Academy. Same deal. Like he had a, a great thing and I, I never, I always wanted to find someone who had like at the time that I was really interested in this was when Dell sort of went through that, where they went back private. Uh, they, the Michael Dell bought the company back. To, it, I love that he did a, that too. Well, and and I thought like because those that was when the iPad came out and all these people made faux iPads that didn't sell. And it was like, man, if you could get those in the hands of kids who maybe don't have a computer or don't have access, and then they could have Khan Academy, it's free. And they could learn, and that was sort of, you build that, they, the Khan Academy did a, a program in, it was in like Marin County or, or someplace that yeah. probably could have been some other lower end community, I think. But, but they, they, what they did was they, they came up with a program where the kids all had uh, you know, an, a, a device with Khan Academy on it, and, they, and you can work at your own pace. You can work at school, you can work at home, and the, you know, administrator of that can then look and see, just like what you were talking about, where it's like, you know, here's the top three kids in the class, and here's the bottom three. And if you took those top three and matched them with the bottom three, then they don't, you know, they still have something to do. They're done with the, yes. the lesson, but they still have something to do. And then that, you know, rising tide, rising tide, you know, is lifts all ships. Like, so... And that's all free. And yes. that's and that's and Salim Khan is is from New Orleans. Like you know, like he built that thing to teach two of his nieces. I love that platform. Yeah, me too. And it's I like going on there and just going, Oh man, I don't remember anything about you know, logarithmic equation. YouTube emerged during that time I was at Gremlin. I, a lot of that calculus and wiring up boards a lot of that I learned going on free websites and like and I free think, tools and resources, they I, helped me through college. That was the end of part one of a two-part conversation that we're having with Demetrius Norman. We're going to release the second part in a couple of weeks. Um, but please come to his Maker's Fair on September the 7th at the fairgrounds. Look up the event at shreveport.makerfair.com. Fair has an E at the end. So shreveport.makerfair.com and learn more about Demetrius's event on September 7th. And tune in in three weeks to hear part two of this conversation.